Hey, listen, guys, I'm so happy to be with you this weekend. We love your pastors. We've known them a long time. We love you. It's always a pleasure to be with you. It's been a couple of years, you know, but we're happy to be back. And so uh, we want to share an encouraging word uh, with you this weekend. As we begin tonight, I want to look at uh, Philippians chapter 3, uh, verses 13 and 14. Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Uh, Paul, of course, writing. He said, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, uh, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And you know, it's my prayer uh, that as we uh, gather here together that uh, every one of us will be able to embrace these words that we'll be able to forget the things which lie behind. Of course, uh, embracing and celebrating with great appreciation all the wonderful things that God has done for us, through us, in us. But likewise, reaching forward, moving upward uh, to the things that still lie ahead and that our expectation will be raised uh, to a higher level. You know, I realize for some uh, perhaps uh, the last 16 to 18 months and uh, some of the unexpected events that unfolded, I realized that uh, it may have brought some disappointment, maybe for others some perceived setbacks, and God forbid I realize even for some, uh, some sorrow. But once again, let's redirect our gaze. <laughs> let's forget the things that are behind and let's move forward, let's move upward, and let's uh, look to the future with a sense of expectation because God is still on the throne. Jesus is still Lord. And uh, his plans and his purposes are still in process. You remember in Genesis chapter 12, we won't look there, but just uh, uh, as a reference, God spoke to Abraham concerning uh, his plan for the nation of Israel and Abraham's obedience in regard to that. And so he told him, I want you to leave your father's house. I want you to go to the land that I'll show you. And uh, it will be a blessed move. So Abraham, of course, in obedience, he left his father's house. He left Haran. He took his, lot, uh, his nephew Lot with him. And of course, in the process of time, uh, God so blessed their cattle, their sheep, their substance, uh, that the land they were uh, occupying simultaneously was unable to sustain them. And so uh, they had to part ways. So Lot chose the plains, uh, of course, of Jordan. And then God took Abraham up on a peak and he spoke these words to him. In Genesis chapter 13, verses 14 and 15, notice he said, The Lord said to Abraham after Lot had separated from him, Lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. You know, sometimes we can make the mistake of focusing all of our attention on where we are at the moment. And, and perhaps all the negativities and the potential uncertainties that accompany where we are. Instead of looking up, lifting our eyes, and seeing where God still desires to take us. God said to Abraham, listen, I need you to look up now. 
I need you to lift up your eyes. I need you to renew your vision, renew your expectation for everything that you will see, I will give it to you. And God is speaking that to some people in this room, uh, and perhaps you're watching uh, online. (laughs) He's saying to you, listen, I need you to lift up your eyes now. I need you to get your eyes off of where you are or perhaps where you've been, and let me show you where I still desire to take you because, as we said, his plans and his purposes are still in process. Turn to your neighbor tonight and say, it's time to look up. Get your hope renewed. Get your expectation rekindled. uh, And let's look to the future with a sense of expectation because uh, if God be for us, who can be against us? Who can be our foe when God is on our side? And that's what I want to speak to you about this weekend is having a renewed sense of faith in God a strong and renewed sense of faith in God. You know, the Bible says in 1 John uh, chapter 4, verse 17, as he, Christ, is, so are we in this world. That means that you and I, as the body of Christ, as the children of God, as the family of God, that means that we are fearless, we're unconquerable, we're unmovable, We are victorious in him, and we are persuaded. As Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 1, that he is able to keep all that we have placed in his hands safe and secure until he comes. Are you listening? Until the fullness of his appearing. So, you know, at this moment, I just want you to rest assured that in the midst of all that is unfolding presently in this world, that you are safe in the arms of God. God said in Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10, he said, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, I am your God. I will what? I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Woo! And then again in Proverbs 10 and 25, The Bible says the wicked are blown away by every stormy wind. But when a catastrophe comes, the lovers of God have a secure anchor. Man, that's comforting news, isn't it? You know, I've been here many times through the years. And one thing I know, because I know your pastors, I know your spiritual heritage. I know that you are a household of faith. And I know that you are a people of faith. And friends, now is the time when the world needs the faith that you and I have and that you and I hold. And so that's why, as I said to you, I want to speak to you once again this evening at the Holy Spirit's direction uh, about maintaining a strong sense of faith and confidence in God. Uh, In in Mark 11, chapter 11 and verse 22, uh, Jesus, of course, speaking on the subject of faith, Uh, he began with these simple words. He said, have faith in God. Let your heart find its place of rest, confidence, peace, assurance in the person of God. Uh, The word faith, of course, in the New Testament is simply a New Testament word for the Old Testament word trust. It comes from the Greek word pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S, And it means to put your trust 
in a person or thing. Quite naturally, our faith is in the person of God. You know, one of the most uh, significant and defining aspects of our religion from all the other religions of the world is that our religion is not based exclusively upon principle or methodology or code, but our religion is based upon a relationship with a living person, God Almighty, through His Son, Jesus Christ. So as a Christian, uh, it is not merely what I believe, although that is important, but equally important, friend, is who I believe in. And so, you know, sometimes our focus in life, our preoccupations, our perspectives, they, they can become misdirected because of all the negativity, because of all the multiplicity of voices and the potential uncertainties that are unfolding in this world, and we can forget who we are. And I think equally important, we can forget whose we are. And we need to remind ourselves continually of our place, of our position as the body of Christ in this earth, and we need to remind ourselves to whom we belong. So Jesus said, have faith in God, trust Him. This evening, I'm not going to share anything new with you that you haven't heard. I'm just going to put you in remembrance of truths that you know, truths that you've been taught uh, to solidify some things in your heart, particularly in this season. You know, quite naturally, it's, it's impossible to have any true sense of confidence or faith in a person that we do not know. That's why we say Bible knowledge is critical to faith because it unveils a revelation of the one that we are trusting. So I just want to review a few aspects of God's nature, His character, His person, so that all of us remember just who He is, what we mean to Him, how passionately devoted He is to our well-being, and why we can trust Him, why we can have faith in Him. You know, in theology, we refer to God as omnipotent. That means that He is all-powerful. We refer to Him as omniscient, which means He is all-knowing, right? And we also refer to Him as omnipresent, meaning that He transcends uh, uh, all boundaries of time and space. He's present everywhere at all times. And although these are certain, uh, certainly qualities of God's person, I think it's important to realize that at the core of His being, as far as you and I are concerned, God is a Father, and He loves His kids very much. Can you say Amen. What qualifies someone to become a child of God? Well, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 1 tells us. The Bible says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. How many of you believe that Jesus is the Christ? Congratulations. And you've confessed that reality and believed it in your heart. You are, according to the Scripture, you're born of God. Now, to be born of someone means that you are brought forth in their nature and their likeness. 
That's why the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, notice the Bible says, you are of God, little children, and you've overcome them, meaning the agents of the Antichrist. For greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. Notice, you are of God. That means you're of righteousness, you're of peace, you're of joy, you're of life, you're of light, you're of wisdom, you are of God. And 1 John 5 and 4 says, whatsoever is born of God overcomes his world. Hallelujah. So you're, you're born of God. And as a child of God, you've been given and I've been given the rights of sonship. Notice in Galatians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. And friends, I just let the word of God speak for itself. So you're going to get a multiplicity of scriptures. All right. But that's good. The Bible's good, isn't it? Notice, because your sons... God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, which is an affectionate term, meaning Papa or Daddy. Wherefore, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. I don't think sometimes people are cognizant or aware of the depth of devotion that God has for his children. Uh, You know, God wasn't satisfied dwelling in Moses' tabernacle. He wasn't content in Solomon's temple. He was looking for the day when he could actually take up residence in the regenerated hearts of his own sons and daughters. I want you to notice the passion with which God speaks uh, through the Old Testament prophets and then cited by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. In the latter part of that verse, notice what God said, I will dwell in them. I will walk among them. I will be their God. They will be my people. Look in verse 18. I will be a father unto you, and you will be my sons and my daughters, saith the Almighty. Wow. What a privilege. What a blessing to be in relationship with Almighty God through Jesus Christ and to know that he loves us with an everlasting love. Everyone say, God is my Father, Father. and He loves me. You know, as a child, you instinctively trust your parents, unless, of course, they prove themselves to be untrustworthy through time. But it is instinctive within the heart of every child to trust their parent. And did you know, likewise, the same reality holds true for every child of God. It is instinctive within the heart of every believer to trust in God. But understanding the relationship that you share with him, the position that he holds, who he is, the power that he possesses, all of these things are very important in formulating a strong foundation for solid trust. So in Revelation chapter 4, I want to just look at who he is. We've established the relationship that we share, that we are sons, we are daughters, God Almighty is our Father, but exactly who is he? So in Revelation chapter 4, and we'll read the entire content, verses 1 through 11, uh, John, of course, is on the Isle of Patmos. 
uh, he is uh, having an open vision by the Spirit of God, and he sees in one facet of this vision the very throne room of God and God seated upon it, and I want to read this to you. Then suddenly, after I wrote down these messages, I saw a heavenly portal open before me, and the same trumpet voice I heard speaking with me at the beginning broke the silence and said, Ascend into this realm. I want to reveal to you what must happen after this. Instantly, I was taken into the spirit realm, and behold, I saw a heavenly throne set in place and someone seated upon it. His appearance was sparkling like crystal, glowing like a carnelian gemstone, and surrounding the throne was a circle of green light like an emerald rainbow. Encircling the great throne were 24 thrones with elders in glistening white garments seated upon them, each wearing a golden crown of victory. And pulsing from the throne were blinding flashes of lightning, crashes of thunder, and voices, and burning before the throne were seven blazing torches which represent the seven spirits of God. And in front of the throne there was a pavement like a crystal sea of glass, and around the throne and on each side stood four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature resembled a lion, the second an ox, the third had a human face, and the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of the four living creatures had six wings full of eyes all around and under their wings. Guys, heaven is going to blow your mind. There are things there you and I have never seen or conceived of. They're worship without ceasing day and night, singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the was, the is, and the coming. And whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to the one who's enthroned and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fell face downward before the one seated on the throne, and they worshiped the one who lives forever and ever. And they surrendered their crowns before the throne, singing, You are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, power, for you created all things, and by your plan they were created and exist. Hallelujah. Heaven is a real place. God's throne is there. He is seated upon it. He is absolute in power. He is absolute in authority. He is absolute in dominion. As the psalmist said in Psalm 103 in verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. All means all. There's none above him. There's none beside him. There's none before him. He alone is God. As the psalmist said in Psalm 86 and verse 10, you are the one and only God. What miracles, what wonders, what greatness belong to you. Woo! 
Oh, but Brother Marty, what about all of the ungodliness that is arising in our nation and around the world? What about the utter disregard for God's moral law and his spiritual authority? What are we going to do? Don't worry your pretty little head about it. You know why? Because God Almighty is in ultimate control. And I use that word specifically. I don't know if you've ever read Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 and 10 through 12, but if you haven't, I want to read it to you. I'm talking about the God in whom your faith rests. I'm talking about the God in whom you're in relationship with. He's your Father. Notice, how dare the nations plan a rebellion? Their foolish plots are futile. Look at how the power brokers of the world rise up to hold their summit as the rulers scheme and confer together against Yahweh and his anointed king, saying, let's come together. Let's break away from the creator once and for all. Let's cast off these controlling chains of God and his Christ. (laughs) God enthroned merely laughs at them. The sovereign one mocks their madness. Listen in verse 10. Listen to me, all you rebel kings, all of you upstart judges of the earth. Learn your lesson while there's still time. Serve and worship the awe-inspiring God. Recognize his greatness and bow before him, trembling with reverence in his presence. Fall face downward before him and kiss the sun. Before his anger is roused against you, remember that his wrath can be quickly kindled, but many blessings are waiting for all who will turn aside and hide themselves in him. Well, that's us, isn't it? (laughs) All I'm saying is now is the time to make sure you're on the right team. Everybody on the right team. I'm talking about putting our trust in God this weekend. By understanding the relationship that we share with him, the position that he holds, and the authority that he carries. He's your father. He's the supreme ruler of this universe. He has absolute power, dominion, and authority. There's none above him, beside him, or before him. He alone is God, and he loves us. That's good news. And you know what else, friends? Listen, no matter what may happen with this economy, people are all concerned about the economy, uh, the stock market, the housing market. No matter what may happen in those arenas, arenas, how many of you know uh, that God has unlimited resources? The Bible says he can make rivers in the desert. He can bring water in dry places. I love Psalm 24 and verse 1. Uh, The Bible says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. One translation says, the earth is the Lord's and all of its wealth. Psalm 50 is kind of comical. Psalm 50 verses 10 through 12, speaking about God having unlimited resources. He is, of course, speaking through the spirit of prophecy through Asaph. And notice what God said, every beast of the forest is mine. And the cattle on a thousand hills, 
I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. The earth is mine and the fullness thereof. The world is mine. Hallelujah. And of course, Haggai chapter 2 and verse 8. Notice what the Bible says. God said, the silver's mine, the gold's mine. So how many of you believe he can meet your needs and get to you what you need when you need it? Amen. You know, because you're a member of the household, what belongs to the father belongs to the children. That's the way it is in my home. I mean, I'm the sole provider in a sense, but guess what? My wife, my mother-in-law, my two kids, the cat, the dog, they eat it, drive it, wear it, right? Sleep in it. Praise the Lord. Why? Because what belongs to daddy belongs to the kids. And God is our father and he is well able to supply us. So, Understanding our relationship, understanding his position, and there's just a few uh, uh, characteristics of his person. How many of you know that as a father, God is good? God is good. I know these are simple truths. I know you've heard them for year, years, but we need to be reminded. God is good. How do you know, Brother Marty? Because the Bible tells me so, and I've tasted of his goodness. Look in Psalm chapter 34, verse 8. The Bible says, oh, taste and see, the Lord is good. And notice, blessed is the man. Blessed is the woman. That what? Puts their trust in him. Nahum chapter 1 and verse 7, the Lord is good. He is a stronghold in the day of trouble. He's not the cause of the trouble. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knows them that put their trust in him. Woo-hoo. Here's another good one. In the, in the New Testament, James chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. James said, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Don't allow your view of God to be tainted. Don't make an error in your judgment of God. Every good, every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Now, you'd be surprised at how many Christians do not know that simple revelation that God is good. They think God is the author of their sorrow, their sadness, their disappointment. James said, don't be deceived. Don't make an error in your judgment. It is imperative to your Christian walk, to your life of faith as a believer, that we know and we, we understand God is good. And he does good. He's always the answer. He's never the problem. He's always the antidote. He's never the poison. But, Brother Marty, things have happened in my life. I understand that. All of us live in this degenerative world. Jesus said because of that, there are going to be challenges. But I have to maintain the mindset and the attitude in the midst of it all that my Father is good. And he has my welfare in mind. There are times that I've prayed for people or I've had personal uh, situations uh, with close family members or others that I've dealt with. Things didn't always turn out like I wanted them to. Or perhaps attempted to believe and pray that they would. But in those moments, friends, that's why this is foundational. I, I realize that I'm seeing through a glass darkly. 
My vision at this particular time is somewhat obscure. It is limited. I don't know the past, present, and future like God does. I don't know what led up to events or what may be happening in all the particulars of a situation. He does. So in those moments where you don't understand, what you do is you step back on your foundation and you say, well, one thing I do know, I know if you could have, you would have. And I know you're good. I know you do good. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to step back on this foundation. I'm going to put that on the shelf. And I'm going to remember God is good. And I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to move forward. Right? And I'm, keep, I'm going to keep going in the grace of God and in the goodness of God. Everybody say God is good. A second attribute of your father's character in establishing a strong sense of faith and confidence is that God is faithful. Excuse me, God is merciful. God is merciful. That's the first one. God is merciful. How many of you know what mercy is? Mercy is love above what justice demands. Mercy is love above what justice demands, and God is merciful. How do you know? Because the Bible tells me so. Psalm 86 and verse 5, notice. For you, O Lord, are good, yes, ready to forgive, thank God, and what? Abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. He's ready to forgive. This is God's posture. Unfortunately, people have a a, a wrong impression or perspective of God. His posture toward humanity is he is ready to forgive. Notice Psalm 103, verses 8 through 12. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger, abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us. You know what that word in the Hebrew, he will not always strive, it means he will not always be finding fault. Aren't you glad God's not nitpicking our faults? He doesn't treat us like we treat one another. (laughs) He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. As the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Man, isn't it wonderful to know that God is not holding your trespasses against you for all of us who have embraced the grace of God and the saving uh, grace of God and the salvation that is given to us through Jesus Christ. The Bible says he has blotted out our transgressions and will not remember them for his own sake. Woo! Hallelujah. And did you know that is the message he wants to give to every person on this planet? God wants you and I to carry this message of his love and his mercy to everyone that we come in contact with, and particularly now because this dispensation is closing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19 in the Amplified, notice the Bible says, God was personally present in Christ reconciling and restoring the world to favor with himself. Watch, not counting up or holding against men their trespasses, but canceling them. And has given to us the ministry of reconciliation or the word of reconciliation, right? That we should what? Go tell them the good news. 
God's not mad at you. He loves you. He's reconciled you to himself through Christ, but you need to believe that, right? And friends, as I said, the time is short. You know, uh, the word of the Lord came to me in the not-too-distant past, and he said, the door that now stands open will soon begin to close. As with swiftness and acceleration, this final season goes. And yet there is a remnant that still must enter in. And once they've taken their place in the kingdom, then the time of sorrows will begin. So listen carefully to the Spirit, for He speaks of things to come. And let your heart be strengthened and let the Father's will be done. By being mindful of His presence in every step that you take, and by staying filled with the Spirit, an impact in the lives of many you will make. And His presence will overtake you, and God's glory men will see, and Jesus will be glorified in you and in me. You know, many times the Word of the Lord will come to me in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and, uh, and therefore our admonition. So the time's short. We've got a job to do. Everybody say, God is merciful. Thirdly, God is faithful. God is faithful. How many of you know what faithful means? That means God is trustworthy. He is dependable, right? Uh, he has never failed you. He has never let you down. Sometimes people, uh, when they feel that the object of their faith has failed them, they're reluctant to trust again. But friends, God is faithful. This is a very essential component of his nature. He has never and will never fail you or fail me. Now, there may have been times where we had unrealistic expectations based upon our personal desires, wants, how we wanted the prayer answered, our timetables, right? Uh, uh, but we have to realize once again that God is good, God is faithful, God is merciful, uh, and, and he's actively working to do everything he can uh, to show himself faithful to us in every situation. So if there's things you don't understand or maybe uh, you've been a little disappointed, get back up, keep walking, and say one thing I know God is faithful. How do you know he's faithful? The Bible tells me so. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. 2 Thessalonians 3 and 3. I'm talking about your heavenly father. But the Lord is faithful who will establish you, guard you from the evil one. Once again, this is a very essential uh, an evident component of his character. God is faithful. He's trustworthy. He's dependable. Uh, Numbers 23 and 19, one of my favorite scriptures, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he not said and will he not do? Has he spoken? Will he not make it good? And a final component of his, of his person uh, this evening is in James chapter 1 and verse 17. James chapter 1 and verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, as we read, in whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. A fourth, and there are many others, uh, facet of his character, God is unchanging. 
God is unchanging. What does that mean? He doesn't vacillate. Uh, in this particular uh, passage of Scripture, James is referring to the day of creation when God set the sun and the moon, the stars, the constellations in their place. And he said, you know, the constellations may shift, they may change, the sun may rise, the sun may set, but God in his power, his position, his goodness, his mercy, his faithfulness. He never rises or sets. He's always constant. There's never a day you come and you say, Father, and he said, I don't have time today. Uh, uh, too many people calling my name. <laughs> He's not moody, right? He's always there. You utter his name. He's there. God is unchanging. Malachi 3 and 6. The Bible says the I am the Lord, I do not change. You say, Brother Marty, why are you rehearsing these simple truths? We know these things because I want you to have a very strong sense and a renewed sense of faith and confidence in the person of God because as things progress, once again, we're going to need it. And you need to not only have methodology, code, or principle, you need to have a firm persuasion and a solid confidence in the person of God, right? Who is he? He is your father. He is the supreme ruler of this universe. He has absolute power, authority, dominion. There's none above him, beside him, before him. He alone is God. He is good. He is merciful. He is faithful, and he is unchanging. And you and I can put our solid sense of faith and confidence in him. Can you say amen? amen. Oh, hallelujah. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We praise you. Bring that up. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. As I said to you, God speaks to me many times in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, prophetic words. The word of the Lord came to me in the not too distant past. And he said these words. Things are not always as they seem. You must learn to look beyond the immediate and the temporal to the eternal. For these are the things that will endure this world is temporal, and all that facilitates its current operation will one day cease. And the eternal rule and realm and reign of Christ will ensue. So many are troubled in heart by the recent events that have unfolded in this world. And yet, do you not see, do you not recognize and realize, saith the Lord, that all things are culminating for my ultimate plan and purpose. No man, no government, no king, no prince, 
nor evil entity or force of darkness will subvert my eternal plan. So rest assured that in the midst of seeming chaos and darkness and confusion, that the light is still shining brightly and is overcoming the darkness at every hand. Therefore, stand securely, stand confidently. Do not cower in fear and timidity. But walk in the peace and the authority that belong to you and boldly declare, all is well. All is well with me. All is well with my household. All is well with the body of Christ. For as it has been written and spoken by the sovereign and the eternal king, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So rejoice. Let your hearts be filled with confidence, with peace, with assurance. For all is well, saith the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And Father, we believe your words, and we rest in you, and we have confidence in you, and we walk in that confidence. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. amen.